If you have your Bibles with you, please take them out and turn to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. We've been starting in this new series the last few weeks. This is number 3, looking at the Lord's Prayer as we find it here in Matthew 6. Although the more I think about it, the more it seems to me that it should be called the Disciples' Prayer. It's the prayer that Jesus teaches to his disciples when they have asked him how to teach them how to pray. And the distinction we see is that this is not simply a generic prayer that Jesus teaches as though anyone could use it indiscriminately. This is the prayer that he teaches disciples to use. That's why it starts with the words, Our Father. Those are not words that just anyone is able to pray because as we said two weeks ago, that's a special privilege given to those who are redeemed in Christ, the privilege of calling God and approaching him with this term, Father, this endearing term. So this is the disciples' prayer, and today our focus is going to be exclusively, well, almost exclusively on verse 11. Give us this day our daily bread. This is, as the the confession calls it, the fourth petition. It's the fourth thing we ask for in the prayer, for God to provide our needs for us. But I'm going to begin by reading, starting back in verse 5. I want us to hear the whole teaching that he gives here related to the prayer. And in our sermon, we'll be also looking particularly at verses 7 and 8. So I want us to hear those together with the prayer. Would you please join me in standing for the reading of God's word today? This is Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 5. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is the word of the Lord, and he writes eternal truth upon all of our hearts. Let's pray together one more time. Father, we ask now as we approach the preaching and the teaching of your word, that your spirit, who inspired these words to be written for our benefit, will teach them to us, will write them on our hearts, may teach us to pray, that we may enjoy a deeper and sweeter fellowship with Christ and a deeper and sweeter communion with our Father in heaven. Will you use this prayer to bless your church, to grow us in Christ for his sake and in his name? Amen. Please be seated. Well, when I was young, our family always ate dinner around the table. No matter how much my brother or I might plead for the privilege of being able to eat dinner in front of the TV if there was something on that we wanted to watch or 
or to be able to go out to eat as we always wanted to do, we very rarely, almost never did either of those things. Every night, without fail, we gathered around our kitchen table and ate dinner together as a family. And I remember that my parents had some fairly strict house rules when we were gathered at dinner around the table. Of course, there were some of the obvious ones, like no elbows on the table. We had very strict rules about uh, asking for things. If, if you wanted someone to pass you a food item that was not in your immediate reach, and in fact, a immediate reach was a very narrow area. You weren't allowed to reach and, and stretch over the table to get something. You had to ask. And I remember the rule was you had to say please when you asked, and you had to ask politely. Otherwise, you didn't get the thing you wanted. And this rule was, was a little stricter than that. There was also the rule that if you asked for something and it was passed to you, and you didn't say thank you in a timely enough manner, my dad would sometimes just reach over and snatch that thing away, and you lost the privilege of it because you didn't ask politely enough. And of course, there were times uh, when I would know, you know, perhaps we had something like, you know, if we had french fries at dinner and the ketchup was going around, and there would be times when it, w- it would seem my dad should have obviously known that all of us would want the ketchup, but nevertheless, he made us ask for it. He, didn't, he knew what we wanted, and he knew that we needed it, but he didn't just automatically give it to us. He waited until we asked politely for it, and then he would gladly give it to us. And we had to say thank you to keep it. And I remember wondering at times why he was being so strict with us. Why did we have to ask if he knew already beforehand what we wanted? And as I've come to appreciate some of his rules in my latter years, I've realized that he was doing something more than I had perceived at the time. He wasn't simply trying to teach us our P's and Q's, learning to to be polite and say please and thank you. He was trying to teach us to be a family. He was teaching us how to relate to one another. He was trying to teach us how to be a a small community, the four of us gathered around our table. He was teaching us how to interact with one another and how to honor each other, how to be respectful, how to give honor to those who deserved honor. It was a whole way of relating and a whole way of living that he was trying to indoctrinate us into. And therefore, it it was good for us. He set up a system where we had to ask for things, even even if it should have been obvious to the person that we needed that thing. We had to ask. We see something similar similar to that in our Lord's prayer that he teaches us. In verse 11, which is our focus today, this is the prayer, give us this day our daily bread. And yet we read in verse 8, he says, your father knows what you need before you ask him. God is not waiting to hear our prayers so that we can enlighten him as to what it is that we need in life. He's not waiting to hear what our shopping list is. He knows everything that we need before we ask him. And yet Jesus teaches us that as though to say, don't don't be presumptuous, don't come with a wrong view of God. God knows what you need. You can rest in him. And yet, just a few verses later, he teaches us to pray for the things that we need. He teaches us to ask, Lord, give us this day our daily bread. A petition that I believe means not just bread, but Lord, supply our needs. Lord, provide for us what is necessary for life and godliness. All of that we need, we are to ask the Lord for. He knows that we need it, but he teaches us to ask for it. Why? Well, because prayer is not simply about informing God as to our needs. There's something bigger. He's teaching us to be a family. He's teaching us what it means to live together as a community, brothers and sisters together as the church, with Christ as our older brother, God as our father, He's teaching us how to give honor to whom honor is due, how to relate respectfully with one another, 
and how to be polite in asking our Father to supply our needs. Not because he doesn't know, but because that's how you interact properly. That's how you treat a father. And so there's more going on in prayer as we, as we come to this topic of petition or request or supplication, this whole idea of prayer as asking God for the things that we need. There's more going on there than just informing God. It's not just simply that we come to God with our list each day and say, Lord, this is what I'd like, but there's also learning how to honor God in our prayers. And two things. First, we are to honor God as our Father, and we are to honor God as our provider. As our Father and as our provider. If we were to look at the outline of this prayer, this Lord's Prayer, Disciples' Prayer, just in broad outline, there's two main sections of the prayer. The first half, we could say, is about God, and the second half is about man. And so the first three petitions, Our Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And the second half is more about man, ourselves, our needs. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So the first half is about God and his glory and his kingdom. The second half is about us and our needs for his grace and his provision. And yet, the second half is not purely about us. It's also about giving glory to God. When we pray, Lord, give us this day our daily bread, we are honoring God and glorifying him who is able to provide for us our daily bread. He gets glory in fulfilling that request. When we pray, Father, forgive us our debts, we are praying to him because he is glorified as the one who is able to forgive sin. When we pray, lead us not into temptation, he is glorified because it's his spirit that is powerful to protect us from the evil one, to guide us and protect us from temptation. And so it's all for his glory. And he's glorified in these two ways when we honor him both as father and as provider. So first, God is glorified when he is trusted in as a loving heavenly father. This is what we've said these last two weeks is that the first line of the prayer, our father in heaven, that's what sets the tone for the entire prayer. That, those words, those four words bracket every other petition that we must pray them remembering that we are praying to our father, that we approach him as our father. And what this passage shows us is that there is a right way and a wrong way to pray for our needs. Even as we're praying this verse 11, which seems very simple and very straightforward, give us this day our daily bread. Lord, provide for our needs, whatever they may be. There's a right way and there's a wrong way to pray for that. First, look back at verses 7 and 8 and we'll see that there is a wrong way to pray. And he says, verse 7, when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. Jesus says, first of all, he says the Gentiles here, which is people who have not grown up in Judaism, they're likely not believers, and yet they're praying. They're praying as unbelievers. They're praying like unbelievers. They're praying as people who, who do not know God. They're pagans. They're idolaters. They're, perhaps they might be very religious people. After all, they're praying. They're standing on the street corner hoping to be seen by everyone in prayer, and yet these are people who don't know God. If they did know God, they wouldn't pray like that. 
That's one of the first lessons for us is that the way we think about God determines the way that we pray. And these Gentiles here, they don't know God and therefore they're not praying correctly. They're, they're missing the whole point of what prayer is. You never know how to pray unless you know God and specifically unless you know him as Father through Jesus Christ. Only then can we even begin to understand how to pray correctly. As Christians, we pray for God to meet our needs as children coming to their father. As children coming to their father. And we know from our own experience that God is a father who can be trusted. That he is a father who provides for us. That he is a father who loves us, who cares for us, has our good in mind at all times, who has committed himself and promised us that he cares for us. That's something that we as believers know, and we know it from experience. We know it from the gospel. If we're believers, we know the gospel, and if we know the gospel, we know God is a Father who can be trusted. He can be trusted to be good to us and to to love us and care for us. And so, how do we pray to this Father? Well, we pray with humility, we pray with boldness, we pray with confidence and with assurance that we're not coming to a God who is far off, we're not coming to a God who is distant, who we have to somehow do some great routine to hope to get his attention. We're coming to a God who is near to us, who says, draw near to me and I will draw near to you. We're praying to a God who loves us and hears our prayers. Why? Because we know God. Because as believers, we've learned to trust him. This, the last question of the Heidelberg Catechism is this. It says, what does amen signify? Why do we end our prayers with this word, amen? What does that signify? And this is the answer. Amen signifies that it shall truly and certainly be, for it is more certain that God hears my prayer than that I desire the things I pray for. You hear that comparison? It says, it is more certain that God hears my prayers than it even is that I desire the things that I pray for. If you think of your own urgency and desperateness in prayer of Lord, you're just crying out to him for things. How much do you desire these things? That's why you're praying. And and this teaches us, however much you desire that, it's even more certain that God hears your prayers. I I love the thought of that, that, that that is the absolute certainty in prayer, that God hears what his children say to him. That's why we come with such confidence. That's why we come with such boldness that the Lord, he hears our prayers because he cares for us. So we bring our request to God, not not because we think he he won't know what we need unless we ask, but because he's a father and he loves to care for his children. He loves to provide for his children. He loves to hear prayer and answer prayer. How does it say the unbelievers pray? When they're praying, they're not praying the prayer of faith. They don't know God. They're praying a prayer of performance. They're praying a prayer of performance. They use many words and pile up empty phrases They're trying to gain God's attention by means of their spectacular performance in prayer to use just the right words through the magnificent rhetorical display. Who would not be impressed by this prayer so that all men might look up to them highly and that God will hear them? Now, sometimes we hear this verse wrong. This doesn't mean that long prayers are bad. It doesn't mean we shouldn't pray for an extended period. Jesus prayed long prayers. Jesus once got on his disciples and said, what, you can't even pray for an hour? It doesn't mean long prayers are bad, but look at what it says. Where is their faith in this prayer? It says, 
for they think they will be heard for their many words. Their whole approach to prayer is that if, if they can do good enough, if they can pray well enough, if their prayer is satisfactory, then God will hear and perhaps he will answer. Their faith in prayer is not in the God they pray to, it's in the prayer itself. And just hoping that their performance will live up to God's expectations and, and that in some way he will be pleased and then he will answer. It's a, it's a real trap. It's a real trap, and I believe it's a trap for all of us to fall into that mode of thinking that, that God will hear my prayers if my prayer is good enough, if my life is good enough, if my performance of religious and spiritual duties this day has been good enough. How often do we get to an end of the day and, and perhaps we've just, we haven't had a good day, we didn't read our Bible, we didn't pray, we, we told the driver next to us that they were number one, and then we think, I, I really want to pray, but not today. Let me wait till things calm down between me and God, get back on the same page, and then I'll pray. That's trusting in our performance. That, that's trusting in, in our way of living to hope to gain God's attention by our performance of a good life. That's not trusting in God as our Father. When, when I lived in the South, there was a saying, I don't know if it's only in the South, but if things were going well for somebody, someone might say, wow, he must be living right as though his good living is what had caused God to bless him with whatever good things were going on in his life. And I, I heard that regularly, even from church folk, even from, from elders who I, I believe were saying it with that hint of sarcasm and, and a nudge and a wink, but they said it anyway. Ah, oh, he must be living right. Something is going well, and we just have that, that sort of spring-loaded theology that if we do good, God will do good to us. If we're good enough, if we pray well enough, and that is an unchristian way to pray. Look, what does Jesus say in verse 8? Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't be like them. Don't pray like that. Don't think that, that God will hear you because you've prayed well enough. That's faithless prayers. He says, pray like Christians. Pray to your Father who's in heaven. One of these prayers by Charles Spurgeon, when he was in pain and he was sick, listen to, listen to this. He recorded this prayer. He said, when I was racked some months ago with pain to extreme degree, I had nothing I could say to God but this. You are my father, and I am your child, and you as a father are tender and full of mercy. I could not bear to see my child suffer as you make me suffer, and if I saw him tormented as I am now, I would do what I could to help. I would put my arms under him to sustain him. Will you hide your face from me, my father? Will you still lay a heavy hand and not give a smile from your countenance? I love the approach in prayer. You hear the urgency and the desperateness that he's praying for. He's in extreme pain, and yet you hear the sense of childlike trust and faith. You are my father, and I am your child. Will you still lay a heavy hand on me? Will you not give me a smile from your countenance? That sweet language of trust to say, Lord, I, I don't come to you with any goodness of my own except that you are my father and you've taken me as your child. Do you not care for me and love me as a father does? And simply to plead that cause before the Lord. It's a beautiful picture of childlike trust and humility in God. That's our communion with God in prayer. We've said this the last couple of weeks, that prayer is more than just these rote exercises. It's not just it's not just asking God for things or even telling God things in our worship, but it's communion with God. And here's the truth. Our communion with God would not be complete 
if we didn't bring our requests to him. Our communion with him would not be complete if we didn't come to him with all of our needs and our desires and our requests. We don't want to give the impression that your prayers would be more holy if they were just adoration and just thanksgiving and not supplication. That wouldn't be more holy. You know what that would be? That would be proud. To say, I don't need to ask God for anything. I can supply my own needs. I don't have to go to him in prayer. I don't have to bother with asking him for anything. I'll just give to him. I'll be the giver. I'll give praise and I'll give worship and I'll give adoration, but I don't need him to give to me. That's just pride in our own ability to provide. To refuse to allow him to provide in the way that he's promised as our father. And so not only do we honor God as father in praying, but we honor him as our provider. God is glorified and honored when we trust him as our provider. That's what we're looking to him for in this prayer. In verse 11, give us this day our daily bread. We're asking, Lord, provide for us. Provide for us. There are things we need. There are things we don't have. There are things we cannot provide for ourselves. Father, give us this day our daily bread. And we've already said, you know what? He knows what you need. He knows what you need before you ask him. So, so we could say that technically it's not strictly necessary to pray these prayers except because God already knows it, but he's a good father. He wants us to learn how to live as a family with him. He wants us to learn how to depend on him prayerfully for his provision. He wants us not to, to stiffen our necks and harden our hearts and think we don't need him, but to recognize daily more and more how much we do need him to cultivate this spirit in our lives of prayerful dependence. That's what this prayer does for us. Helps us to cultivate a spirit of prayerful dependence on the Lord. As I read through Jesus' teaching on prayer in the Gospels, I'm always struck by some of the, the fanciful parables that he tells regarding prayer. Some of them are, are the most notable parables he tells. He tells a story of a guy who goes to his neighbor's house at midnight to borrow some bread to feed a guest. And the neighbor, of course, says, go away, it's midnight. But he keeps knocking and he's bold and he keeps asking and asking. And eventually the neighbor's like, okay, fine, here's some bread. I'm getting out of bed and unlocking the door just because you're driving me crazy. Here's your bread, now go. And Jesus says, be like that guy. Be the annoying guy who goes to God at inconvenient and awkward times and present your needs to him. Don't be too proud don't, don't be too proud in yourself to face that awkwardness of asking somebody else to provide your needs. Or again, he tells about the, the story of a widow who received an unjust ruling from an unjust judge. And this widow kept going back over and over to the judge and pleading her case to him. And every time she would plead her case and he would say no and she would go home and she would go back again the next day and plead her case until eventually the judge gets so annoyed that she won't stop coming that he just gives in. He says, even though I don't fear God and am an unjust judge, however he words it, he says, fine, take your, take your justice. And Jesus says, be like that lady. Be like that widow who goes over and over to plead with God for what you need. Don't be so proud that you cannot embrace the awkwardness of recognizing how dependent you are. Most of us are too proud to be that annoying neighbor or to be that, that helpless widow. We're too proud to embrace that identity because we don't want to admit our helplessness. I think this is the truth. I mean, prayer is such a privilege for us to consider that reality of what God has given us as a gift in prayer and say, 
you have access to come to my throne anytime, day or night, and plead your case with me. Ask for your needs. I'm a good, loving father. I'll take care of you. And we don't do it. Why do we not do that more often? Why do we struggle so much to take advantage of that? And I think this is the truth. We want to maintain the illusion that we are self-sufficient. We want to maintain that illusion that, that we don't need somebody else to provide for us. That we've got this under control. We're okay. We don't need help. We're good. We don't want to ask for help. We can do it on our own. We are too proud to go to our neighbor's door at midnight. We don't want to do that. And in prayer, Jesus is asking us to recognize our dependency. To recognize how dependent we are on God to provide for us. That God hasn't created us to be self-sufficient. But to be God-dependent and humble and thankful. Paul Miller, who wrote the book A Praying Life, he says, Prayer is a form of helplessness. This is what he says. He says, Little children are good at helplessness. It's what they do best. But as adults, we forget how important helplessness is. Instinctively, we want to get rid of our helplessness before we come to God. That's how it is for us as adults. We don't want to be helpless. We just have this instinctive desire, get rid of our helplessness and then we'll come to God. Well, then what are we coming to God for? Prayer is a way of embracing our helplessness and and cultivating a sense of dependency on God, saying, Lord, supply for us what we cannot supply for ourselves. God's not honored when we don't need him. God is honored when we humble ourselves and we admit our need when we look to him as the sufficient one who is able to provide. I think that's why we struggle with this prayer and and generally with prayer in general because we want to be self-sufficient. We want to, to have that pride that we don't need anybody. We like to think of ourselves as sufficient to provide something even just as simple as one meal. Give us this day our daily bread. Perhaps that's why we, we think of that line, give us this day our daily bread, and we think, well, that, that was probably very practical in the first century. We say maybe that's a good prayer to teach people in third world countries where they don't have a, a great supply. They don't have big refrigerators that are already stocked with food. How, I mean, when was the last time that we pleaded with God to provide for us a meal? We plead with God to give us the, the self-control not to eat a meal. We plead with God not to, to take another photo of our meal and post it online and annoy our friends. But, but we don't look to God for his provision on here. As we take our food for granted, we assume we are self-sufficient. As Paul Miller says instinctively, we want to get rid of our helplessness. Do we think that because we have a refrigerator that we don't need to rely on God's provision for our food? Do we think because we have a job that we don't need to rely on God's provision for our next meal? Do we think that because we have a savings account or we have a checkbook or we have a, an ability to go to the grocery store down the, down the street that we don't need to, pro, to rely on God and his provision for all of our needs? It, it's such a, a, a deceit to us to think ourselves self-sufficient, to look around and say, behold, look at what I have accumulated. I don't need anyone. Proverbs 30, 8 and 9, there's a prayer that says, Give me neither poverty nor riches. He says, Give me neither poverty, lest I steal and dishonor your name. 
Then he says, give me not riches, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? That's from King Agur in Proverbs 30, who's anticipating the entire world and saying, Lord, if we have too much, we will instinctively get rid of our helplessness. We'll begin to trust in ourselves and we'll say, who is God? I've accumulated this for myself. I can provide for my needs. He says, give me neither poverty nor riches. And we have to recognize that, that living in America in 2014, all of us have riches. All of us have riches. All of us are going to fall under this temptation to say, I am full. Who is the Lord? I have a refrigerator stocked with food for the next week. I don't need to come before him in humble dependency and say, Lord, give us this day our daily bread. And so we become self-sufficient. And this is a prayer to teach us to cultivate a daily dependence on our, on our loving, heavenly Father who is glorified in his ability to provide. Jesus teaches us first, be dependent on God. Second, God is glorified by being our provider. God receives glory when he is seen as the one who has all things and is able to provide completely for his children. When I was younger, I used to be completely baffled by the phenomenon of going out to eat with a group of people and seeing two people fight over who got to pay the bill. I said, don't fight over who gets to pay it, fight over who has to pay it. Let the other guy pay. I couldn't fathom being in that position of saying, no, 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 let me pay the bill. But as I got older, I began to learn that new dynamic where you don't want to be the person who is receiving gifts from other people. You want to be the one who's providing. You want to be the one who receives the honor of everyone looking to you and saying, oh, he can really provide for us. He has resources to his name. He has an ability to provide. He can really, he can really spend. And to, to say there's honor in being that guy. There's honor in being the provider of the good things. What Jesus says is that's God. God receives ultimate glory from us when he is recognized as the one who pays the bill. God looks at us and, and we, we look at our fridge and say, ah, look at me. And God says, no, let me pay the bill. I have all the resources. Depend on me as your father. I can handle it. We give him the glory when we depend in prayerful, daily, humble dependence on him why we encounter it over and over. Philippians, my God is able to supply all your needs according to his glorious riches. Second Corinthians, God is able to make all grace abound to you. Ephesians 3, he is able to do far more abundantly than all you ask or imagine. He tells us over and over, God will provide. God is able. One of the best examples of, of this prayerful dependency comes from the life of a, a British pastor in the 1800s. His name was George Muller. Perhaps you're familiar with the name. He was a pastor, but he was best remembered for founding multiple orphanages. At, at the height of them, he was caring for thousands and thousands of orphans in England. And all of his orphanages were paid for by donations and gifts. And yet, he says, he never a single time asked anyone for money. Instead, he prayed. He prayed. He asked the Lord, Lord, if this is your will to continue the orphanage work, may the money come in. And gifts and donations would regularly come in to pay all the bills of the orphanages for thousands of children. He says he never asked anyone. He only prayed to God and asked him to provide. And he tells one story on March 9, 1842, the money ran out. 
And so he gathered a group of his friends and, and they prayed that morning for God to provide for them. And they went out and checked the mail and there was nothing. No gifts came in that day. And he said they didn't know what they were going to do that day. They seemed to be at the end of their rope. But later that afternoon, he says, a special delivery came. And it had money for the day's bills. He says, just as he thought all hope was lost, God came through again. And of course, for God to answer that prayer, we, we read Matthew 6, 8, God knows what you need before you ask him. God had started answering that prayer days before with the writing of the check, the mailing of, of the check. He knows what we need. And, and the, the best part of this is that George Muller kept a prayer journal. He kept a journal of every prayer that he prayed and he would record the answers to his prayer in it so that by the end of his life, someone counted up over 50,000 answered prayers in that journal. And you just think, what, what do you do with a document such as that that gives praise and glory to God for being the provider 50,000 times he prayed to the Lord to provide for his needs and God came through. 50,000 times going before his heavenly Father in a spirit of humble dependence saying, Lord, I'm not able to provide for this, but, but if this is your will, will you provide the means? And 50,000 times God was faithful. What a testimony. What a testimony to the faithfulness of God and a way to give God glory and praise for being the ultimate provider for all of our needs. Not that there's anything wrong with fundraising, but there's something so right about being dependent on the Lord waiting for him to supply our needs and saying, Lord, give us this day our daily bread. And honestly knowing that if he doesn't answer the prayer, then we don't know what we'll do. But God is faithful. God is faithful. This is how he teaches us to live in a community. He teaches us to be a family. He teaches us to honor one another, to honor him as our father, to, to treat him as our provider, and to look to him as the one who's able to meet all of our needs. Let's pray together to the Lord. Father, you are great. You are good and you are loving towards all you have made. And so, Father, we pray that you will give us that view of yourself, that knowledge of your provision and your love and your care that is able to, to draw out from us this response of humble dependency that we will be so moved by the view of, of Christ and, and his grace and his mercy towards us that we will have no fear of embracing our own helplessness, that we'll have no fear of casting ourselves completely on you for your mercy. Lord, we ask that you will provide for our needs, that you will give us this day even our daily bread. As you have been faithful to do in the past, so we ask you to do again in the future, that, that your name may be glorified and we may... Uh, we may embrace all of your generosity and goodness given to us, that we may thrive and you may be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen.